everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of TCK's Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Norin. I'm joined by Elliot Niblock. We are polyless today. Uh, 18 days to go before the start of the Premier League season. Polly is off. Uh, where was he going? The Football I, Hall of Fame, yeah, American Football Hall American of Fame. American Football Hall of Fame. Yes. So we hope that he's having a good time uh, here in. That's in Ohio, right? Yep, Canton. Yep, it's a place I've never never been. Actually, I've uh, only been to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, but there's a lot of overlap there. So, <laughs> I mean, really, Hall of Fames in general don't really interest me that much. I think, I mean, sure, if I was ever in, you know, I think the hockey one is in Toronto, I would probably visit it. You know, I mean, I honestly, though, one thing that I've always wanted to do and have never done is, because I don't do this in most U.S. sports complexes, as far as I know, but do the, like, the stadium and locker room tours Mm -hmm. at, like, the Emirates or Old Trafford or something, because everyone I know who's done them says that they're awesome because you go into the dressing room and, like, hang out where all of the players are before and after every match, which is, like, that that to me is kind of, I don't know, imbued with a greater aura than just seeing a placard and a photo and, like, a pair of cleats from a game 40 years ago. Although that, you know, has a certain interest for me too yeah i mean if it's a specific club and you like the club of course that's going to be more interesting i think you know i'll see if i'll manage to have time for the manchester united museum when i go to manchester mm-hmm. uh, so i mean yes that is something that i would like to see but when it's i don't think i would make it just to oh let's go on a road trip to the hall of fame uh but i hope he enjoys it i hope mm-hmm. he enjoys it well, yeah, I mean, you've got a pretty big trip planned also, so you've got yes. you've got some, uh, you know, oh, hi, family, here's my firstborn son stuff to take care of on that yep. trip across the Atlantic. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, excuse home. me, firstborn daughter. Yes. Firstborn daughter. Yeah, so Sorry, I'll Stella. be home for a couple of days, and then I'll jet off to Manchester for a quickie, and then back to Sweden for a little bit. But uh, that's in a couple of weeks, so it's getting close. Yeah, great. We'll see if I'll, I'll have any voice left. Although that is a that is a Friday game, so we probably won't record until Monday. That yeah, yeah, that's in the future though. Let's talk about what's happening right now, and we got news today that Arsenal will be without Pat Mertesacker for several months, yeah. as he suffered a knee injury in the friendly against Lons on Friday, and he was left out of the Arsenal tour here of the U.S. They take on the MLS All-Stars uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, Sucker out. He's undergone surgery. He'll. I read somewhere it could be upwards of like five months. Uh, okay. So, uh, Van came out and he said that, yeah, we need another center back. And he preferably an experienced one. Yeah. I mean, they've already signed... Um... Uh, Rob Holding from Bolton, but he is n- not an experienced one. No, he's he is not not a minute of Premier League experience to his name. Yeah, um, I mean, Callum Chambers can play that position in a pinch. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that when Chambers arrived at Arsenal, I think a lot of us were excited. Who are you know uh, Arsenal supporters, and and he's still a player who I like, but it's incre- He's kind of 
increasingly appearing as a sort of utility player, right, who can fill in at fullback, at center half, even in defensive midfield if we're really pressed, um, although now we finally have a little more cover there. But, I mean, still, you know, when you look behind Laurent Koscielny, Gabriel will now be, you know, uh, one of the starting 11, you know, one of the first-choice center halves. And I think he's a talented player, but I still don't think that he has the kind of presence and certainly not the partnership, you know, mm-hmm. joked in the past, the kind of, you know, combining the two of them, the Murdoch-Shelny unit at the center of Arsenal's defense has been very good for them. It's probably been the most solid center-back pairing that they've had in, you know, several years. But they, I mean, yeah, they, I, I think that even before this injury, if you'd asked me, you know, the th- like what I want to see Arsenal bring in, I would say central forward, wide attacking player, center back. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, he said before that they're already in the market for a center half, but I, I mean, n- now. The, I mean, th- I guess this is where kind of the rubber meets the road in terms of Arsene Wenger's rhetoric about, you know, we're active, we have targets, we're looking to make moves in the transfer markets. Okay, well, now not only Danny Welbeck, but also Per Mertesacker are going to be out probably until 2017, mm-hmm. right? If that five-month figure that you quoted ends yeah. up being true. Well, and- I- so if you don't bring it, if you don't bring in somebody to replace them before the season starts, when you have the opportunity to like create that depth and that cover in the squad at positions that you know you're thin in, then you know the kind of running joke that Wenger talks big and then never backs it up just you know gets to run that much farther. Yeah, I think that, like you said before, they were already talking about bringing in another center back, so that. You know, if you read between the lines, maybe they wanted someone a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, yeah, he wants an, an experienced guy in. Most likely, you know, they might be looking at someone who's not on a contract right now. Just bring in someone on a one-year yeah. deal from the, you know, a free agent, basically. And, you know, looking through some of the names, there's um former Arsenal defender, um Felipe Senderos. Oh my god! I know he—he's not—he's gone down. He's not yeah. anywhere I mean, near he's... what he used to be. But he knows that's, the setup. That's well, yeah, I guess. I mean, was he even in the Switzerland squad for the Euros? I would be shocked. I don't think so. I—I I don't honestly. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Yeah, but so uh, you know that could be one option. Otherwise, yeah. I mean. I'm you looking, know, I'm looking through some of the names here, and it, it's not a great list. No, you um, know who I am really now especially covetous of is Leicester City's signing in Luis Hernandez Rodriguez. Mm. They got you know he's 27. They got him on a free transfer from La Liga, and uh, boy, oh, you know if you could like, hey, do you want a defender in his you know mid to late 20s with top flight experience in Europe on a free transfer. Oh my God, please. I'll take that with both hands. Yeah. Another one might be Christopher Samba, the former Blackburn player. 
he's mm-hmm. available on a free right now. He's spent the last few years in uh, in Russia. Mm. What else is available? Breda Hangelang. Hangelang! Yeah. Oh, I love him. I mean, he's uh, 30, He's 35, but... Yeah, but I mean, yeah. But I mean, he's essentially just like, you know, providing another body with whom to rotate the squad. Yes. So... And I mean, that that's going to be the thing, though. And he though, is if... a player with a ton of Premier League experience. Yeah. Yeah, Steve... before Fulham got relegated. Yeah, but... Steven Taylor, also available. I don't I and you know what's interesting though also is that Hangeland I I don't know that he will be on Arsene Wenger's radar or maybe he, maybe I should say that I don't think he's a likely target mm-hmm. but I do think that he is a, a kind of a like for like substitution right he's uh he's like you know 6667 six, six, he has a big big kind of frame but he's not going to be the fastest guy on the pitch no um but he you know would could fill a similar role to per murder mm-hmm. and you know I, i'm yeah i i know that he's norwegian but i i mean i'm sure that his english after having played in you know in the premier league for so long is impeccable which is a big problem with gabrielle is that his english is not very good and Czech speaks Spanish, but Koscielny does not. Yeah. And so, you know, having them all be able to speak English to one another, just like to have yeah, a lingua franca, as it were, is really important for that goalkeeper, center-back, center-back relationship. True. Born in Houston, Texas. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> oh, Hangeland, you should have been uh, back there on Bob Bradley's U.S. teams. What you what? doing? Let's see here what it says. The son of a Norwegian oil company worker. Hangeland yeah. was born in Houston, Texas during his parents' two-year spell in the United States, but grew up in Stavanger. Okay. Well. Yeah, if the U.S. would have been a little bit quicker there. Like what, 15 years ago? Yeah, exactly. Maybe more. (laughs) Let's see. He did his Norway debut in 2002, yeah. So, yeah, 14 years ago. I mean... I mean, I could see... Hangeland didn't really play much of last season either. Um... But at the same time, if they're going to go and not spend money, you know, there are some options. They're not very sexy. But I don't, yeah. really, I don't really see him. Well, unless you're David Luiz, the center back signing is never particularly sexy. And I also think that PSG overpaid for him by a great deal. Yes. But I just don't see Wenger going out and spending a lot of money when Merger Sucker is fit. They have a good first pairing of Mertesacker and Koscielny. Yes, but but like the I mean, but this is the thing is that Arsenal, we don't the the signing needs to be to ensure that as we go into that brutal Boxing Day stretch of a million games that we're not already talking about the top four as a trophy, Mm -hmm. and if we don't have a you know, a true solid defensive pairing, then, I mean, I I love Petr Cech, don't get me wrong, but I, like, keeping clean sheets is extremely important to this team, especially since we don't know exactly who's going to be leading the line at center forward. I mean, Olivier Giroud, I have a lot of time for him. I don't think he's 
an absolutely world-class striker, but he had a good tournament in the Euros. But that also means that he's going to get extended rest into the first few games of the season. And so, therefore, we're going to be without him. And so, you know, I mean, if we go into match day one with huge question marks hanging over center back and center forward, then it's... It's hard to look at this club and say the ambition that you pin to your chest and promise your fans is truly manifest in the business decisions that you make because that's not that's not borne out in reality mm-hmm. because we've had you know and now still there's enough time as you said Seb there's 18 days until the Premier League season which is on the one hand not that long but when you have the financial resources that Arsenal Football Club do they can go out and find a quality center back. Would they do so otherwise if Mertesacker was fit? Maybe. Could you argue that they should? Yes, you could. But could you argue that they desperately need to now? Absolutely. And if they don't do that, then, boy, I mean, that just really shows that this kind of Gazidis as chairman, Wenger as manager, you know, they're like, they just... They like to speak about ambition, but the bottom line is what they care about is the bottom line yeah. and not trophies. Yeah, I mean, Gassidi came out and said that he believes this This was before the injury to Per Mertzsacker, but he he said that he thought this the squad was strong enough to win the Premier League. I don't agree with that statement. No. Well, but he And he also, so he spoke earlier this, or maybe last week to ESPN and, you know, said said all this stuff about how it's, fiercely competitive and like other clubs have far more financial capacity than Arsenal do, which on the one hand is true, but Arsenal still have hundreds of millions of pounds in cash reserves alone and are set to yet benefit further from the TV revenue windfall that all of the Premier League clubs are cashing in on and will continue to do so. Um, But he spoke to the New York Times yesterday and said, quote, we would not be successful if we simply went out into the transfer market and tried to outgun our competitors. We're running a self-sustaining way, and that way that we believe in. And it's like, what? okay, yes. But self, again, you you say on the one hand, yeah, but he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, and yes. that he says that we're a club with ambition to win things, we're a big club, and we aim to compete at the highest level, and then... You say, oh, but also, you know, we need fiscal sustainability. No, it's it's not about financial sustainability. Arsenal is entirely sustainable. Arsenal is, like, so far in the black, they're at the bottom of the Black Sea. Like, we have a ton of money to spare. But it's. I feel like it also goes back to American owner Stan Kroenke, who, it, like, you know, the way that he runs sports teams is as investments to reap benefits from rather than kind of the i guess you would say um you know the the oil money ownership group of a plaything to throw money at in order to try to win trophies now on the one hand do i appreciate the sustainability of arsenal and on some level yes i do i'm glad that we're not reliant on kind of a huge influx of money from itself an unsustainable reserve in terms of oil exports Mm -hmm. but at the same time Gosh, it would be really nice if Stan Kroenke said, you know what, I'm willing to take a minor loss or even just break even for one fiscal year in order to bring in two or three world-class players 
and see if maybe I can own a team that does truly compete on that highest level. Yeah. Yeah, and sort of speaking in that vein, um, Gonzalo Egoin signed with Juventus. That was one of the players that were rumored to uh, go to Arsenal. Mm -hmm. But when you see the price tag, it landed just north of £75 million, making him the third most expensive signing in history. Yeah, 90 million euros. So, you know, there's no way Arsenal would break. I mean, what's their transfer record? Like 36, 38? No, no. Um, uh, uh, Ertzel cost 42, I think. Ooh, okay. Ooh. I, I think he did. Okay, yeah. I it, mean... it's, it's, around, it's in the, the realm of, you know, 40 million pounds. Yeah, but I mean, that, that would smash that record by yeah, and, quite the margin. And, and I also, I think that, I'm, I don't, I mean, I think Gonzalo Higuain is a great player, but I also think that, you know, Juventus kind of paid through the nose on that one, and I'm not sure they got value for money. Well, I, the thing is that they sold, well, they had to sell back Alvaro Morata to Real Madrid because of the buyback option. Yeah, so that's true. They had they got some money there, and then, you know, I, I don't see him as being a bad deal for them. He's going to score a bunch of goals, and Juventus they already have a stranglehold on a Serie A. It's making yeah. it even worse now when you poach the best goal scorer of the league from the runners up. So yeah, I mean, and he's and again, you know, as you say, if he's from the runners up, he's familiar with the league. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, yeah, I understand it. But on the one hand, do I think that that is a ludicrous price for Gonzalo Higuain as he's you know about to turn twenty nine? Right, like he's. I mean, he signed a five-year deal, and you know, I, I hope for his sake that he ends up playing at the highest level throughout all five of those years. But at the same time, you know, this, like these are prices that are just so hugely inflated from what we saw even three, four years ago, right? Like, I mean, Gareth Bale cost only four, five million pounds more than Gonzalo Higuain does now. 10. 10 million? Wasn't yeah. he... Wasn't he... Bale, uh, Bale 85, Ronaldo 80. Ah, uh, right. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, and also Ronaldo. I mean, that's been, gosh, 10 years now almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but at the, at the same time, I'm also envious and kind of covetous because while I, you know, for all the reasons that I just said, sit here, watch the club that I support kind of twiddle its thumbs while players drop from injury and the season approaches and yet here's another club that okay well we lost a major goal scorer we're gonna have to pay more than we think he's worth perhaps but we need another world-class goal scorer we'll just bring him in like <laughs> that's exactly what i wish arsenal would do yeah and i mean they already have paulo dubala who is a phenomenal talent as yeah. well so yeah juventus i think yeah they won the league by nine points last season i i it wouldn't surprise me if it's at least a dozen next this coming season. Well, and again, they will, even if the Pogba deal to Manchester United does go through, they will still be competitive in the Champions League as well. Yeah, I mean, they'll find a replace. I mean, it's hard to replace a Pogba, but they'll find someone to sort of take that spot. Um, you know, they they dealt with the loss of Vidal earlier, so I, I think that they, they're in a good spot there. 
Uh, Arsenal did have a bid of 35 million euros denied by Lyon for uh, Alexander Lacassette. Uh, reportedly, it was 48 million, but Lyon, they were pissed off. They went out with an official statement. They said, no, 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 it was only 35, and we laugh at that bid. It's a horrible bid, and we're never going to sell him. Yeah, I mean, I... That is a player I want to see play in the Premier League, though, because he's yeah. so he's so good. Yeah, i I would love to I would love to see him at Arsenal. Um, I mean, I think that this is this is exactly the problem with Arsene Wenger, though, is that he lines up two or three players that he wants, and I mean, he's you know he's an economist by training, mm-hmm. and he has in his mind these players worth, and then when the market dictates that. He has to pay over what he thinks they are worth. Yeah. Then he shuts the deal down. And and on the one hand, that's you know it, it it's shrewd on some level certainly. But on the other hand, it's just like the market price is the market price, man. You can't you can't just go to the deli and say I want sirloin and then be like, mm, but no, I'm I'll only give you fifty cents fewer per pound than what you're offering me. And then they'll laugh in your face and say, no, (laughs) that's the market price. Yeah, that's the thing. And I I don't think that we'll see the type of fines anymore like he did back in the days when he bought, you know, Freddie Jungberg for nothing, basically. And I mean, even Henri wasn't that expensive. Um, Yeah. So Yeah, I mean, but again, that era and... I, I'm so torn because I think that Arsene Wenger, I mean, he's he has an unparalleled history with this with Arsenal Football Club. Uh, I think he is a, a brilliant manager. I have a lot of respect for him on multiple different levels. But I also hate to say it, but I think that he's he's kind of intransigent and he's unable to change with the times. And the you know we're we're seeing clubs that you know like clubs like a west ham right like quote unquote smaller clubs that are bidding 30 million pounds left and right you know and it's the the world of football is like the money is growing exponentially and i think that he's a little bit of a stick in the mud when he sees these huge price tags and then balks at them it's like well yes but also the television revenue is growing by a similar exponent to the inflated player prices. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, okay, maybe you're going to have to pay 10 million more euros, 15 million more euros than you think Lacazette is truly worth in order to get him, but you're also going to be making hundreds of millions more in the coming years than you ever had previously due to the wildly lucrative both domestic and international television revenues. Well, I mean, it's something like $8 billion that the Premier League is set to make from UK TV rights alone in the next three years. I mean, it's, it, it's mind, they're mind-boggling figures. And I think that he's just letting his mind be boggled and refusing to take action. Yeah. Another play that they've been reportedly interested in is Gabriel Barbosa uh, from Santos. And we got news yesterday. I know it's from the Sun, so take it with a scoop of salt. But 
apparently Juventus put in a bid of almost 17 million pounds for Barbosa. So, I mean, if they would snap up Barbosa as well. That would be frustrating. I mean, uh, that that would be... I mean, that would be a great, like, a great signing for them. Yeah, but, but it would almost be rude if you have Egoin, Dybala, and Barbosa. <laughs> I'm sure you that just give... Like, they could not care less no. about being perceived as But rude. that's the thing, too. If, it, if he only, I'm doing air quotes here, only cost you 17 million pounds, that's not a lot. No, I, mean, I, I think that's a great deal for and him. And then we're talking about a 19-year-old you know, super prospect that you can still make money off in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, at this point I should be so accustomed to having the kind of rug swept out from under my arsenal boots in terms of the transfer market, but it's still always frustrating. Uh, Yeah. yeah. we'll, We'll see how the Japanese kid does. Yeah, I mean, I I saw some highlights of him playing for Hiroshima, and he, I mean, he's a very talented young man, um, Takuma Sano. But is he ready for the Premier League? He'll sell some shirts, that's for sure. Yeah, well, he'll sell shirts in Japan. That's yep. true. But I mean, I I don't think I don't real really think that's the reason we signed him. And also, you know, how many shirts shirts did Ryo Miyaichi play sell? Having not really played for the first team at all, so he, but we'll you know we'll probably a lot, didn't he? I I am Seb. I'm gonna be honest with you. I know nothing about Arsenal's shirt sale figures uh, in Japan. You should know this. You should know this stuff. <laughs> Speaking of selling shirts, though, uh, the um, Monday game between Manchester United and Manchester City was canceled. Uh, they were set to play in Beijing. It was called off last less than six hours to go. Uh, because the pitch was in a horrible state after basically a week of torrential rain in China. Um, So we never get to see that first Manchester derby outside of England. Um, We spoke a little bit last week about, you know, teams traveling abroad uh, for preseason games. It's, you know, 50% preseason, 50% marketing opportunity. And... You know, I I I would say more like eighty twenty sixty percent the latter. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being generous here, but the, the thing is here that now they lose out on a game. I already thought that United don't play enough games leading up to the season. I know me and Paulie differ on that one, but I feel like you should have a couple of solid games in against good oper, you know opposition, especially when you got a new manager, like in the case of both Manchester City and Manchester United. And well, that's a yeah. long way to travel and then have yeah, the game I mean, canceled. That's the well, the biggest thing is that like the travel, like that takes its toll alone, you know, right? In terms of the accretion of fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw an article the other day suggesting that uh, Mourinho had the players train immediately after getting off the plane at like 6 30 a.m. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that it's just. I understand the, I mean, okay, so on the one hand, the cynical take is you're going to China, to Korea, Indonesia, to even the Americas, right, to build your brand and to, like, through that brand building, kind of 
galvanize support and increase the base you have for selling your product. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I mean, you can also make the argument that it's also the teams wanting to go and acknowledge their fans that they have all over the world and give them the opportunity to you know, see their favorite players play in person when, you know, maybe not everyone who can afford to drive five or six hours to Beijing and buy a ticket can't afford to take a trip to Manchester, you yes. know? Yeah. And so I, I do think that there's kind of like, like, while the cynic in me is quick to say, yeah, it's all about the money and branding and marketing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there, like, there is at least at least a devil's advocate or maybe angel's advocate argument to make in the sense of giving back to the fans. Yes. I, I see that part of it, but then there's also the other deal. I mean, they're playing uh, Galatasaray in my hometown, Gothenburg, Sweden, mm -hmm. um, and they're charging absurd amount of money for those tickets. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's just for a preseason game and that's because they need to pay the teams and the teams are demanding so much money. So ergo facto, they got to charge up the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and well, and that uh, there's also, you know, in terms of if you Gothenburg, you can, it's, it's much more <laughs> like logistically and financially feasible for a larger section of the Swedish population to make it to England than it is for, a large portion of the, you know, 1.8 billion people who oh, live yeah. in China. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, of course. But yeah, there's there's definitely two sides to this. But yeah, they lose out on a game. It's a shame. And sticking with Manchester United, uh, Slatan has chosen his number. He's going to wear number nine. And that sent, set off a little bit of controversy as he, you know, took that number from Anthony Martial, who was handed the number 11 shirt. Uh, from Adnan Janusai. Um Yeah, I, I, I feel like this is uh, much ado about nothing, really. Yeah, you think it, so? But he, it, he unfollowed the team on Instagram. It's oh, a, my God. It's a number on a jersey. Who cares? Well, no, but it does. It has symbolic value. And I think that Martial felt... He felt disrespected because it wasn't a conversation that he had... With the manager, it was a news story that he saw, you know, online or on TV or something. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that as feeling kind of disrespected by that. Yes, if that was the case, then I could see that they should have had some form of communication and be like, hey, you know what, Slatan is coming in. Is it okay if he takes your number? But if it's just like, oh, we're giving your number to Slatan. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that's really what it appears to have been which yeah. you know Martial changed all his his uh, social media photos with yep. prominent number nine on them blah 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 I mean and like do I think that it's going to be a major rift in the squad no but I do I do think that it is the tip of the iceberg that is Jose Mourinho's player management strategy which is I am the special one I am a genius you will follow me or if you don't, then you have betrayed me, like yeah. he said of the Chelsea players last season. But I mean, it's the same thing too, though. I mean, it's not like he's giving number 72. He's still got the 11 shirt. Yeah. 
that's yes, not a bad shirt true. to have in United. No, but it's but it's not the number nine shirt. No. You know, it's like it's still it still is kind of falling down the pecking order. You know, and, and to give a a converse example, um, when Robin Van Persie went to Manchester United. Uh, and Jack Wilshire was, you know, coming back from a lengthy, lengthy injury absence. Insert your, that's always what Jack Wilshire is doing joke here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wenger handed him the number 10 shirt yeah. as a sign of saying, no, you know, I know that you've, like, last year was rough for you. You didn't get to play a lot of games, but I have faith in you as a major part of this team. Yeah. And and I, I so I think that on the one hand, like, yeah, it's just a squad number, but you can handle that in uh, a way that is kind of respectful and encouraging yes. to your squad members or a way that is, you know, dismissive. And I think that uh, this is definitely the latter. I mean, yeah. it's probably, it's probably not going to amount to anything, but again, I-, I take it as kind of perhaps the tip of the iceberg of the Jose Mourinho drama that is, all but inevitable to surface at some point in this season. Yeah, and I mean, some jerseys have special meaning. In United's case, it's a number seven jersey. Um, you know, with a lot of great players haven't worn that jersey, and now Memphis has it for some reason. Um, yeah. One thing, too, that, that was kind of funny, too, when they released the numbers, uh, we can say the genocide got number 15 as well, but number six is not taken. And everybody was like, oh, that's they're saving it for Pogba. They're saving it for Pogba. I, I don't know if, how much I buy into that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that the rumors about Pogba to Manchester United are all smoke and mirrors, right? I think that Manchester United are legitimately in for him. Um, I, do, I don't think that that guarantees that the deal is going to be done, but I think that all signs do point to that. Yeah. And I mean, even if they do break, you know, a hundred million pounds and all of that, I, I mean, he's going to generate so much money for them anyways. I mean, t- talk about a shirt that's going to sell through the roof. Yeah. Um, and he's, I mean, and he's also so young. I mean, he just turned 23, like two or three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's still some murmurs that uh, Mourinho wants another central defender in and that might be Leonardo Bonucci, also from Juventus. So they could be giving Juventus like 150 million pounds. Yeah, which would also help explain their willingness to drop, you know, 90 million euros on Gonzalo Higuain. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, it's uh, there's still plenty of time left for good old silly season rumors. I like it. He always gets your hopes up, and then sometimes yeah, it pays off, like Ibrahimovic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't, like you would know as an Arsenal supporter. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's keep things in the Premier League, of course. Uh, Steve Bruce. <laughs> and speaking of dearths of transfers. Yes, exactly. Hull and newcomers, they have not made a single signing yet. And that's supposedly the reason why manager Steve Bruce quit with three weeks to go uh, before the start of the season. And this is this is a weird one. So apparently he had gotten some insurances from 
you know, the upper management that, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to make some transfers here. We're going to get, you know, get, get ourselves prepared for the Premier League. We want to stay up, of course, with all the money. They haven't made a single signing. And, um, yeah, he just ups up and quits. I mean, yeah, I, I, did you, so did you see the, the open letter that he wrote to the Hull City fans? Some of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it is really a shame though. I mean, I, I like, I, I guess I have to take it on face value that he is legitimately leaving because he, he doesn't feel that the, the club are making good on their promises mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I can I can understand that. You know, he he doesn't want to go into the season with the ambition of kind of pushing past the relegation zone, and then knowing that he's going to be mired in a relegation battle if not relegated by March and sacked by April. Yeah. And you know, that's it's just it's just really a shame. Yeah, so Mike Mike Phelan, former Manchester United assistant manager, takes over uh, as the interim manager. He says he wants the job. We'll see if they want a more prolific name. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing there. How how do you attract a new manager when the last one left the club because he didn't get to sign the players he wanted to? Yeah, I mean, I think that there there are a lot of managers who have never managed in the Premier League and would just love that chance to begin with. I mean, I think that that's, you know, but not this doesn't really speak highly of the state of Hull City Football Club at the moment, but I think that that is exactly why, like exactly who they can and should be looking for, but also who who with extensive Premier League or top flight even experience, top flight anywhere, period, would want to take this job. Yeah. You know, it's if if it's a foot in the door managing at the highest level, then awesome. If but other otherwise, oh god, why why would you go to do that? <laughs> well, I think that's why Phelan wants the job. Mm-hmm. He just wants it. He wants to manage in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and if I mean if that is if your ambition is merely well, I I shouldn't say merely like if if your ambition is merely to be like the manager of a club in the greatest league in the world. Yeah, no. But if your ambition is just to kind of be a manager in the league, regardless of the fact that you're kind of already doomed to a relegation battle at best, then it's a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, look at what Middlesbrough has done. I mean, they brought in some... I think the Valdez signing is a really good one. They brought in Negredo on loan. They bought uh, Daron from Serie A. I, I think they made some really good moves and they've really mm-hmm. pushed it as far as, okay, we're in the Premier League now. We got to go for it. Yep. So looking at that and then Burnley, all they've done is sign two players from Charlton Athletic. Yeah. I mean, but and this is this, however, I think is illustrative both of on the one hand, as you say, a club really trying to make it in the Premier League, and on the other hand, also where like 
where the transfer market has gone in the last five years. Mm -hmm. Because if five years ago, you t you know, I told you Alvaro Negredo and Victor Valdez will be playing for Middlesbrough this year. Yeah. You were laughed in my face. Yes. No, and I mean, that's the thing, too. I, I think that, you know, it's been seven years. Yeah, they spent seven years in the championship. But I still think that they see themselves as a club that should be in the Premier League. Because before yeah. that, you know, they were in the Premier League for over a decade. Yeah, and, and I also think that... Well, I mean, but th this is the other thing that's frustrating about the whole city Steve Bruce situation is that you, I mean, you can be tight with the purse strings. Okay, I get it. But also, if you're gonna if you're gonna actually make a prudent long term decision for the fiscal solvency of your club, you need to spend in order to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, because the money is so huge. Yep. Like two seasons in the Premier League. Let your, I mean, it's it's just it's such a huge gap between the top flight and the second tier of English football that that it just it only makes sense to invest that money. And you know, the worst case scenario is it just it seems like such a short sighted decision to say we're not going to spend any money. We're going to take all the money from one season in the Premier League and then go back down to the Championship, having had our payday. It's like yeah. well. No, but you have a like that's why it's a competition to stay in it. <laughs> yep. Yep. We'll see. Yeah, we'll I, see. I hope I hope they don't end up just being the like complete and utter whipping boys of the league, but they very well may. Oh, like when Derby County was up or Aston Villa last season? I I was gonna say Aston yeah. Villa last season. Yep. Okay, two more notes before we say goodbye. Uh They've done a restructure to the um, the youth league in England. It's now called the Premier League Two, mm -hmm. and uh, instead of being under twenty ones, they're now upping it to under twenty threes. Um, it's split into two divisions with twelve teams in each division. Um, yeah, I, I can just division one we got arsenal chelsea derby everton leicester liverpool manchester city manchester united reading southampton sunderland tottenham and then division two aston villa blackburn brighton and hove albion fulham middlesbrough newcastle norwich swansea stoke west brom west ham and wolverhampton so the division two so the this one actually has uh promotion relegation so the top team in division two goes up and then there's a playoff for the second spot and then the two bottom teams in division one gets relegated so this is to get more homegrown players you know into the system and they've done some research apparently most young players make their first team debuts between the age of 22 and 23 so therefore the they extend the age range to under 23s instead of under 21s to get more players involved in the first team so instead of having to send out your 22 year old player on loan he can now play with the under 23 squad let's say you get an injury you call him up and he can make his debut yeah i i think it's a great system um i mean i think that the promotion relegation format kind of helps a degree kind of a competitive edge mm -hmm. right and i also think that that you know, as you say, the research into where when most people debut 
Like the fact that, you know, there's a huge amount of development that happens between 21 and 23, yeah. or at least I, ideally there is. And, and so, you know, that on top of those kind of you know, placeholder spots, which are really there. I mean, those are essentially for rehabilitating play, like first team players from injury. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, and so, I, I, yeah, I think it's top to bottom a great plan. Yeah, so each team can field a, a goalkeeper that's over 23, that's fine. And then you can play three overage outfield players in every game. So like you said, if someone's coming back from injury, if you got a goalkeeper that's you know your backup, but he, he needs to stay in shape and get match time, then you can play him in those. And um, yeah, they have some other stuff here as far as the format goes. So you got to host at least three of these games at the main stadium, which I think is kind of a cool thing too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's also a neat thing in terms of, you know, we're speaking in terms of the, uh, the international tours and the accessibility, but like, you know, even for folks who live down the road from the stadium, a premier league ticket is, is just increasingly prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe you can only, maybe you can only afford to go to one match a year, right? Let's say that. Um, maybe you can afford to go to two, three, right? But the idea of season tickets is still far beyond the financial means for you or maybe your family. And being able to like have a day out at Old Trafford, at you know Stamford Bridge, the Emirates, wherever it may be, and see, okay, you know, not the first team, but up-and-coming young players and maybe two or three first-team players who are coming back from injury or whatever. You know, that's that, like, that's a great thing for the fans in terms of, like, making it accessible for them. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you have, you know, if you want to go with your young kid or something. That's yeah, a exactly. Less expensive option for sure. Then we get some rule changes here for the upcoming season. Uh, some of the big ones. Uh, kickoff, the ball no longer has to go forward at kickoff. Uh, you can be red carded before the game if you do something stupid in the um, lineup in the tunnel or, or during warm-ups. So if you're Diego Costa, you better keep your, uh, oh my God. Keep your mouth I can't, in check. I can't wait for the first one. And I... I, like I wonder, I want to find some obscure betting site for the first person to be shown a pre-match red card. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it may not happen all season. You know, maybe it not happen for a couple of years, but yeah, yeah. You know, I bet the the odds would be as short on Costa as anyone. Mm-hmm. Then uh, an end to the triple punishment law. So uh, if you um, you know if you give away a penalty and it's an accidental foul to uh, Players committing an accidental foul that denies goal-scoring opportunities in the penalty area will not automatically be sent off. So you can give up a penalty, and it's only going to render you a yellow card. Unless it's a blatant foul or whatever. So I I guess that's okay, too. Yeah, I especially like the change of the no longer triple punishment thing. I, mean, yeah. I think that's that's a really great innovation. Yes. Uh, let's see, what else do we got? We got 
treating injuries. If a player is fouled and hurt by an opponent who subsequently receives a yellow or red card for the challenge, the injured player may be quickly treated on the pitch without the need to leave the field of play. There we go. Mm. That one, that that will lead to some controversial moments, I'm sure. Probably. Uh, Let's see what else. Penalties. Okay, so you can get a yellow card if you take a penalty and you uh, illegally faints once the, his run-up is complete. So you can't do the starter step. Ah! That that will also probably have some moments of controversy. Yep. Yeah, and then there's some stupid things about color of undergarments and so on. Um, <laughs> and the handballs. Uh, in an effort to stop referees brandishing yellow cards for every handball, preventing an opponent gaining possession has been removed from the list of bookable offenses. Wait, really? Handball is now a yellow card offense when it stops, interferes with a promising attack. Ah, interesting. That, I, I'm not sure I totally agree with that one. I mean, at, at first when you when you read that, I thought it meant... Uh, in controlling the ball, mm. right? Um, but yeah, well, I mean, well, again, we'll see how it actually plays out on the field of play. Yeah, and then we got the pl- player behavioral one that we spoke about earlier. Uh, you can't, you know, rush the referee. You can't have a bunch of players swarm him and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that one. So, and I think that's. It's going to take some time to get used to, but all in all, it's I think it's a good good rule that helps the referees from being berated every game. Yeah, definitely. They, they, they have a tough job. Let's give them that. We give them a lot of crap uh, when they do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, but it's probably one of the more thankless jobs you can have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Um, yeah, we're getting close. So we'll, we'll start doing some previews of this teams uh, next week. As uh, Hopefully Hull has done something on the transfer market. Oh, good Lord. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but there's plenty of other stuff to talk about. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. You find me at Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. And then today's CK is the main Twitter handle. So until next time, have a good one. Bye.